We are reading in the scriptures of the New Testament. If you're using a church Bible, then please turn to page 1235. Otherwise, if you're using your own Bible, uh, turn to Revelation chapter 3. Page 1235 in the church Bible. Uh, Revelation chapter 3. And we want to read uh, from verse 7. The context here is that John uh, is the last of the apostles alive. Uh, That's John as in James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, the fishermen. John has been banished from the local church and sent off to a lonely island called Patmos. Uh, where uh, the Roman emperor expects to cut him off from the fellowship of God and his people. And yet John, in that situation, uh, is brought into a deeper and a richer fellowship as the Lord Jesus uh, brings him to see and understand things um, about the future and things that are happening in heaven and things that are relevant to John and the church in the present. Now in these opening chapters, uh, Christ is uh, revealing himself to John as he reviews the various churches in Asia Minor. And uh, we come this morning to read about uh, Revelation chapter 3, what the Lord has to say about and to the church in Philadelphia. So here's what John heard. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens no one can shut, and what he shuts no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. That is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Since uh, mid-January, those of you who are parents of school children have been attending the annual parent-teacher interviews. 
there wasn't a week during the month of January uh, when there wasn't uh, a school meeting of some kind or another uh, for us as a family. And during those interviews, uh, teachers want to discuss with parents the progress their children are making. Uh, They want to talk about the areas in which the children are doing well and areas in which they could and should do better. The last book of the Bible is a bit like a parent-teacher interview situation. Uh, The Lord Jesus, the head of the church, and these opening chapters speaking to John, the last remaining apostle, about the churches that have been founded under the apostles. How they are doing. The things that are commendable. The things that are weaknesses. And then he makes recommendations to those churches. And John has to write these things down and pass them on to the churches. The church is in view here in chapters 2 and 3 in Revelation are located in ancient Asia Minor uh, on the western seaboard of what we now know as modern day Turkey. And uh, these churches are seven in number uh, and uh, Christ speaks to John about the life of each one. And of course these things are not just for the church then, they're for the church in every age and in every place. And so this morning we want to turn to Revelation chapter 3, page 1235 in the church Bible. And we want to focus on some words that Jesus spoke to the church at Philadelphia. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength, but you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Those of you with a good memory will be saying, have we not heard these words somewhere before? And the fact is, you have. I preached on this text twice before. The 3rd of October uh, 2004 as we began weekly morning services and two years ago uh, when John joined us as our mission worker. So why are we returning to these verses or this verse? Well this text summed up our situation and convictions in 2004 And in 2010. Uh, And I believe it is how many of you feel at this time as individuals and as members of this congregation. Feeling weak. Feeling inadequate for the task that Christ has given us in life and in the church. And yet in the midst of that weakness we want to see again that there is a door of opportunity always for us to serve Christ. And so this morning we want to look at these verses again 
And it's not exactly the same sermon in that it has been reworked. I want to think first of all of how Christ uses weakness. Christ uses weakness. He doesn't despise it. He doesn't say that that's weak, get rid of it and let's get what's strong and powerful. That's very often uh, how we respond to weakness. Um, if something uh, that we have in our home is beginning to get a bit fragile or a bit frail, a bit temperamental, we say, throw it out. Let's get a new one. Well, if Christ were to treat us like that, there wouldn't be anybody in heaven. Christ doesn't dispense with us in our weakness. Rather, marvelously, he uses us despite our weakness. Notice the words that we have in verse 8 at the middle of the verse. And I believe they're the key words in the verse. You have little strength. The word is the word from which we get dynamite. There's not much dynamism. There's not much dynamite that would blow the world apart and turn the world upside down in you. This little church at Philadelphia. The congregation is located in a large centre of population. Yet she is noticeably small in numbers. There are plenty of people in the town of Philadelphia or the city of Philadelphia to reach with the gospel. But it's not an easy situation in which to serve Christ. There is plenty of interest in religion. Uh, you will find people going to the local temples and taking part in religious festivals. There is a sizable Jewish community in Philadelphia. But even among the Jews, those people that God had richly blessed in the past, that were his own people, the church isn't making big inroads. She has a small membership. And that membership is mostly drawn from the lower sections of society. The poor, the slaves, the uneducated. There are no big names on the members' role. No Roman senators, no leading businessmen, no university professors, no icons in Greek sport or culture. This little church at Philadelphia, unlike the church at Corinth, is not overflowing with gifts or exuding confidence. She has few spiritual resources with which to bear witness to Christ in this vast and needy community. Christ says to her, you have little dynamism. And Christ recognizes that. And he doesn't fault her for that. He doesn't criticize her for being weak. He doesn't say you should be far stronger than you are. He doesn't say you haven't been trying hard enough. He doesn't say you should be much bigger by this stage. He doesn't say 
you have no use. Is that not very encouraging? For you and for me who as individuals feel our weakness. And for us as a church as we recognise our little strength. Christ is not disappointed with a church that is numerically small. He's not disappointed with a church that is not bubbling over with talent. Rather, he recognises the resources that are there. And if they're limited, they're limited. And he will work through those limited resources. Despite the weakness. Christ uses weakness. As an individual Christian, you no doubt feel your lack of strength. Perhaps your own personal circumstances. Or in your family situation. Or in your work situation. You find yourself asking day by day. Where will my help. Where will my strength come from. Can I keep going. And then we're conscious of that. And the great task. That we've committed ourselves to. As a church. And our inadequacy. But let us realise and let us remember that Christ who redeemed you, that Christ who redeemed the church and has brought us together as a church, finds no fault with a Christian or a church that is small and weak. And so we shouldn't find fault with what is weak either. Your little strength Your little dynamism. It's not a limiting factor to Christ. It doesn't disqualify you from service in his kingdom. It doesn't keep you from bearing effective witness. Indeed, your little strength is in fact your great strength. If you could only grasp that and hold on to that. For what did Paul say? The great church planter. He said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When he was weak through infirmity of the body, when he was weak through reproach of the enemy, when he was weak through some need in his life or some distress that he was passing through with the church, he said, Then I am strong. And when we are looking to Christ. In our weakness. We are strong. In our world. Big (coughs) is beautiful. Strength is what impresses. And there is a danger of us as Christians. And churches falling For that lie. Of thinking that size. And numbers. And programs. And resources. And image. And ability. That's what counts. And if we had that. Then we would be riding on the crest of a wave. Christ. Doesn't disregard. A Christian. Or a church. Simply because she's weak. 
Rather, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter, 20, chapter 1, verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things to shame the strong. And there's a sense in which Christ will shame strong churches by the weak churches, big churches, by the small churches. If it is a question of the big church not being focused on him and the small church depending entirely upon him. Christ uses weakness. Will you believe that? In the week which lies ahead. That Christ will use you. In your weakness. Will we believe that. As a church. In the years ahead. That Christ. Will use us. In our. Weakness. But then let's notice secondly. Christ commands faithfulness. Christ commands faithfulness. What does Christ look for in a church if it's not size and strength and power and might? Verse 8. I know your deeds. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. What does Christ look for? He looks for faithfulness. What does Christ command? Faithfulness. I know your deeds. It literally is, I know your works. Christ knows every act this church at Philadelphia has done in his name. He knows every insult that she has borne for his truth. He knows every sacrifice she's made for his cause. He knows every occasion that she's spoken the gospel to others. I know your deeds. And Christ says to you this morning, I know your deeds. And I want you to note that the word you and your, every time it occurs in this passage, is in the singular. If we're using the old King James Version, it would be the word thy and thee and thine. And Christ is saying here, I know um, your works. I know each of your works. Or the works that each of you does in the church. He doesn't just look at us as a mass of people. And say, well, they're, they're, they're working faithfully. He looks at the individual believer from seat to seat. From row to row. And he says, I know your works. I know the leaflets you, singular, have distributed in our town, going for gold, and many others over the years. I know the prayer you have offered. I know every meal that you have provided. I know every visit you've made. Christ says, I know every lesson you've taught in Sabbath school. 
I know every talk you've given in the young people's work. I know every act of friendship that you've shown to the visitor. I know every word of encouragement spoken to the downcast. I know every tear you've shed in my name. I know your works. And Christ commends them for these works. And it hasn't been easy for this little church in Philadelphia. Christ notes in particular the opposition that they have had from the Jewish community. And it's, it's almost um, contradictory. It's, it's unexpected because the Jews are namely God's people. But look at what they're acting like in, in Philadelphia, verse 9. Christ says they are a synagogue, they're an assembly, they're a gathering of Satan. By John's day, these people are not living under God's blessing. These people are uh, acting against Christ. Look at verse 9. And he tells us how. They claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. These Jews, they boast of their glorious past. And they will take you back to their great ancestors, to David and Moses, and right the way back to Abraham. But these men are out of touch with God. They do not recognize the Christ or his authority as Saviour and Lord in the church. They twist his word. They resist his call. They attack his church. They slander. They oppose men and women and boys and girls in Philadelphia who know Christ and who hold his word. The church at Philadelphia is under attack in her Doctrine and practice. And yet, what does Christ say of this church? This church refuses to budge from her beliefs and teachings. Christ says, you have kept my word and not denied my name. This church at Philadelphia, it's going to hold fast to the truth taught by the apostles. And Christ notices that. And he commends that. I know your works. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. And what are we to do as a small, weak church? What are you to do as a small, weak Christian in a hostile world that is increasingly against the Christian faith? We've seen that even this past week. The National Secular Society has now persuaded the courts to rule that prayer cannot be offered in the council chambers in England and Wales. And it's only a small step until they'll push for prayer, for no prayer in our schools and for no prayer in our hospitals. And so with the whole 
apparatus of state increasingly operating against the Christian faith. And that means it will operate against you and me as individual Christians. And we sense our weakness. Here I am, small individual, against this huge establishment. Here we are, evangelical Christians, we're just a drop in a bucket in terms of the percentage makeup of our society. Yet what does Christ look for in our weakness? He says, I know your deeds. You've kept my word. You've not denied my name. What are we to do? We're to be faithful to Christ. We're to be faithful to his word. We're to be faithful to the great confessions of the church in the past. The apostolic confessions. The reformation confessions. The Westminster standards. The catechism and the confession of faith. That's our heritage. We're to be faithful to the particular heritage that is ours in the Reformed Presbyterian Church which says Christ is king in his church, not man. And it's Christ's word and Christ's will that prevails in the church, not the word of man, not the will of man. And we're not to budge from any belief or any practice that is rooted in Scripture. Christ commends faithfulness in his church. And so we ask ourselves, is that you? Is that me? I'm going to go out into the world tomorrow, Monday through Saturday of the week which lies ahead, until we meet again in the Lord's day. My calling is to be faithful to Christ my Saviour. To stand four square on his word. Wherever I am. And whoever I am with. And I'm not going to privatize my faith. That it's just something that I do in my home or my room behind a locked door. I'm going to live my faith. I'm going to let my light shine before men. That they will see my good works. And glorify my Father in heaven. That's our calling. As Bible-believing, Christ-centered people and churches. To continue to live and do the things that honor Christ. To keep his word and not deny his name. No matter what happens. But then let's notice thirdly this morning. How Christ provides opportunities. He uses weakness. He commands faithfulness. And he gives opportunities. What are the prospects for the evangelical church? For the evangelical Christian? For the evangelical cause that is so small and despised in our world today? that holds resolutely to Scripture, 
that refuses to modernize her beliefs and practices, that will not accommodate other religions, what's going to become of that kind of person and that kind of church? Are such Christians and churches doomed to extinction? Are they to get smaller and smaller in size and fewer and fewer in number? Well, that could happen. That could actually happen. Christ could remove the salt and the light, the witness of Christians and his church from a community, from a town, from a nation, and leave a people, that people, to judgment. We saw that last week in our study in the closing verses of Isaiah chapter 6. But that is not what God, what Christ is going to do or is doing in Philadelphia. That is not what Christ is doing in Philadelphia. And it should be our prayer and our expectation that that is not what Christ intends to do through us as individuals. Or us as a church. On the contrary, Christ declares, verse 8, See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Christ has opened a door for the gospel. Despite the weakness of the church, Despite the weakness of the individual members that make up the church. Despite the hostility of the society around the church. And in particular the Jews. Who should have known better. Christ is giving a door of opportunity. It cannot be closed. He's going to bless the faithfulness of this weak, small church that has been tested so severely. Bright days, better days, lie ahead when men and women and boys and girls will be saved and they will be baptized and they will be added to the membership. There will be days ahead when worship services will be fuller and prayer meetings larger. Days of blessing, days of fruitfulness as individuals and as a church. And Christ is going to create this opportunity for the church among the Jews. Um, look at verse 9. I will make them... Come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I've loved you. The very people that have caused pain and trouble, the very people that have been stubborn and resistant to the truth, Christ says, I'm going to make them come and they'll acknowledge that you have the truth and that they were in error. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if we were to see that happening in Clark Fergus? This community. People today who say, what's the Sabbath day? 
It's the day for me to do whatever I want. To have a jammy day. You don't get out of your pyjamas apparently. That's one of them things for the Sabbath. Or to play sport. Or to go shopping. No thought of God. And yet when God in Christ saves a person, what will they do? They will come and they'll say, I was wrong about the Sabbath. I was wrong to use this day for my own ends. And I've come to see that you were right. And that this is a day for worship, a day for rest, a day for strength of body and mind and soul to be put back into us. That I can go out then and serve in the world in the strength of God the Lord. When I first preached in this text in 2004, I said these words and I want to say them again. What an encouragement we have here to expect and to seek from Christ an open door for the gospel in Carrickfergus. So that sinners are saved and added to the church. Yes, to this church. And since the time I preached that, we've seen that happening. There are people sitting in church this morning in 2004 were not in this congregation. And Christ has laid hold of them. And he's saved them. And he's added them to our number. What an encouragement to us to expect and to seek from Christ an ever-opening door for the gospel so that more sinners are saved and more people from our community are added to the church. Let us make this our constant prayer. And is not Christ giving us an open door to share the gospel? It's easy to focus on our weakness. And it's a temptation to focus on our setback. But on Friday night, I was struck when I walked into the large hall next door for the senior club. And there were 20 in that room. The senior Friday night club. When the senior Friday night club started in the beginning, and for years, there were three to five young people not a young person outside of our own covenant families and as I counted round the hall on, on, on Friday night there were 16 young people a year ago there were 3 to 5 and here are 16 teenagers on a Friday night they want to come they want to play games together and they listen to a substantial talk from the word of God. And prayer is offered. Is that not what the gospel is about? Is that not what the church is about? It's not razzmatazz. It's not flashing lights. It's the word. And prayer. Or think about the girls zone. For years we wanted to do something with teenage girls. But or we didn't have any teenage girls of our own. And now we've, we've won. And there's two other girls from the community. Friends coming along. 
once a month. Think of the Champions League and the opportunity that is there. The boys loving to play football, but the boys also attentive when they again hear solid ministry from the Word of God. Think of the coffee stop over the past two years. Yes, not vast numbers. There's lots of spaces around the tables. We would love to see every parent from that is bringing their children to club coming in and having got but could we actually cope with that no we couldn't but the lord gives us that small number and think about it some of those women who've come to that coffee stop come to church now some of the men that we've gotten to know at through the clubs come to church or come to outreach events think about the one to one bible studies that are happening that some of you are doing as members with individuals in our congregation and individuals outside our congregation think about the non-christians that regularly are at services. When I was working through this sermon again, I couldn't help but think about the new opportunities in homes in Dunlotskin and Castlemara and Eden, where we can go into homes and people know that we come in and we come to talk to them, to show friendship and kindness to them. But behind it all and beneath it all and around it all, we come to read the word of Christ and to pray with them. Because that is the common need of every single person in Carrickfergus. The shared need, whatever the outward presenting need is. Let's see, not the weakness, but let's see the opportunities. And let's take them. Think of the opportunities that Christ is giving to you. Personally to reach people for him. Should you be discouraged? No. You shouldn't. And you mustn't be. Christ has. And Christ will open doors to us. That no one. No one. Can shut. The police can't shut. A judge can't shut. A council or a parliament cannot shut. Because as we're saying to the boys and girls, he is the one who has the keys. He's the one who has the power. Not only the power to open the door of service for you and me, into our community and into people's lives and into people's homes, but also the power to open people's hearts to be saved and added to the church. Let's pray that God will open a great door for effective ministry to us. Yes, we have little strength 
that Christ has built into you. And I'm thankful to God for this. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. People who will work hard. People who will keep his word. People who will defend his name. Who will not compromise when it comes to the truth. But then let's remember the one who has saved us. And the one who has enabled us to be faithful. Jesus Christ. Is almighty God. And let us wait upon him. And let us renew our strength. Each day. Amen. Let's bow our heads. And let's pray. Our God and our Father, we have indeed little strength. We were the weak and we were the foolish when you saved us out of this world. And we feel our little strength in ourselves. But, O oh Lord, we have got an endless reserve of strength in you. And we thank you that you give us strength in the light of our weakness. And you use us despite our weakness. You call us to be faithful in the midst of the challenges that we face in our day and generation as individual Christians and as a whole church. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to continue to keep your word. Help us to continue to work hard in your name. Help us, Lord Jesus, not to deny your name. Help us, Lord Jesus, to see the opportunities that you give to each one of us and to recognize the opportunities that you're giving to us as a church. And we thank you that we have this great ministry of prayer and the word that focuses on Christ, that relies on the Holy Spirit, and that proclaims reconciliation of the sinner to God in Christ. And we thank you that your word will not return to you void. We thank you that our prayers will not go unheard. But already we have seen some fruit. Lord, we pray for much fruit in the days which lie ahead. Not so that we would be strong and mighty and powerful in ourselves. But that we might be strong for you. And be faithful to you. And be able to serve you even more. In this time and this community. In Jesus name. Amen.